is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show, from the arts to sports, and from history to business, and your stories, too. Send them to us at ouramericannetwork.org, and while you're at it, sign up for our free newsletter. Give us your email address, and we'll send you our five best stories each week. And now it's time for our Rule of Law series on how this thing called the Rule of Law silently shapes the world around us without us even knowing about it. Our own Alex Cortez brings us today's story. My dad was an electrician, worked at the mills, and his car kind of always smelled like the mills, you know, because it sits down there for eight hours a day, and I was like, man, I don't want to do that. I want to work out in the woods. I want to be a game warden, a biologist, or something. Something, anything else, this native of Longview, Washington, named Mike Bridges, was convinced but i listened to my dad i'm glad i did he told me when i was 18 he said hey applications are open for this apprenticeship program i'm not saying you have to do it but just do me a favor and go take the test see if you qualify see where you rank so i went through the process and i made it when i got the interview i was going to the local community college there and i only had a couple classes left to take to get my associate's degree and the committee asked me when I could go to work. I gave what I thought was the right answer, an honest answer, and I said, well, I'd like to finish things I start, and I'm in the middle of a quarter right now at college, so I guess when I get this quarter done, I could I could start right after that. And unfortunately, that wasn't what they were, the answer they were looking to hear, and I got passed over, missed an opportunity. Work wasn't really busy then, so it took me three more interviews. I kept going back and trying to better my interview and I got in on my fourth try so I'm glad I did because I was able to work in different small businesses I worked in cabinet business a small cabinet shop where I did everything from cutting out the material to assembling it to installing cabinets in people's homes and businesses and so I really I don't know if I would appreciate it where I ended up as much working in the building trades as an electrician with the benefits of things that we have is if I would have got in right away. I'm a little bummed that I didn't get in right away because I'd have more money in my retirement now and other things maybe be closer to retirement, but looking back on it, I don't think I would have appreciated it as much not working for some some of the different employers I work for that didn't have the same type of benefits that I have now. It's pretty amazing to go from living with your parents, having a, maybe a, you know, a car, and being a young man and thinking, okay, I can do this, I could probably move out someday, and then all of a sudden getting into a real legitimate program like that, and I think within a year of being in the apprenticeship, I had a newer car, more reliable car, bought my first house, got married, <laughs> all those things that started happening because of my career path. So. I always just volunteered to help out my union, whatever it was, just because I wanted to give back. Because I just felt like, what a great opportunity that I'd been given to get into the program. And this is the group that's fighting in my best interest to make work opportunities for me. And I just thought, you know, this is where I need to be. People started just seeing that I was paying attention and maybe that I cared not just about what was going on in my life that I, you know, I cared about the union and, and the people in our union. And so 
I'm guessing that's what it was because people just started asking me, would you be interested in running for this board or would you be interested in being president? So it's kind of a combination of, of things, I guess. And it wasn't much. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think it was much. I just think that sometimes it's just things happen and you get opportunities and you can either embrace them or, or not. <laughs> Mike was elected president of the Longview Kelso area building trades, IBEW, Local 48. I want those apprenticeship opportunities for my kids and their kids and everybody's kids in our area because they're, they're great opportunities. Where else can you earn a good living while you're going to school and not have any debt when you're done? I mean, it's just, I'm so thankful for that every day. I have friends that are my age, friends that are younger than me, older than me, that have so much student debt that it's in the 250 range, 250,000 range. It's in some cases more than their mortgage, <laughs> more than my mortgage. I'm just, it's just shocking to me that what young people these days are strapped to as far as having to go to college. And so anytime we can create more of these opportunities in, in apprenticeships or things we can do that maybe don't require a four-year degree or maybe a two-year certificate, get them into a facility where they can make a family wage job. These are truly $100,000 a year jobs, careers, if you work year-round. And if you like overtime and you like working 12-hour days or working Saturdays and Sundays if, if they're available, I know guys that make 150000 working those kind of hours. The whole country seems to be talking about apprenticeships right now, so the timing is right. They realize that we went too far the other way telling every high school student that the only way that they can have a career is if they get a four-year degree. We don't speak against going to college. I think that's great. We have a lot of people that get into our program that went to college and got a four-year degree and they can't find a job and they end up in our programs and they do great and they end up being part of our system. So I just think that it's kind of a wrong message to tell all of our youth that there's only one career path. I was just at one of my um, kids' conferences this week and at the conference they asked my daughter where she was going to go to college and it was interesting. Some of the teachers were more pushy than others. It didn't seem like they were hearing that message that there's other options out there. And when we come back, more of an electrician and accidental union leader named Mike Bridges. His story continues here on Our American Stories.
This is Our American Stories, and we continue with the story of electrician and accidental union leader Mike Bridges and his story. Let's pick up where we last left off. We are working with the school districts, and they're actually reaching out to us. How can we partner with you guys? They're trying to figure out how do we do this apprenticeship thing, and it's easy for us to talk about because the building trades have been doing apprenticeships for over 100 years, so uh, it's a second nature to us. We actually started a a pre-apprenticeship partnership program with Longview School District this year to get these folks, as they get done with high school, they're going to end up with a recognized state credential where they can hand that to our apprenticeship program and if not get them direct entry, get them certainly a quicker pathway into our programs. But to do that, to make that happen, especially to get the folks from the local communities working on local projects where they're not having to travel three or four hours. We need these opportunities to be local. So that's kind of the missing piece that's been missing for a while. The old Reynolds uh, aluminum smelter sites. That site used to have, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 to 1,000 employees. So when, when Reynolds shut down, that was a really big hit to our community. I think having a job and something to focus on, is it's a, it's a sense of pride. And I know the few times that I've been laid off in the trade, you go through that couple weeks of like, Okay, I'm, I'm off. I have I, got, I can catch up on some stuff around the house. And you do that, and then it's like, it's I don't want to say depression, but it seems kind of like that. You know, you want to, most of us want to be doing something. We want to be able to measure what we've accomplished during the day, and that's what kind of drives I think most people. But once those opportunities aren't there, and you're tried, and you keep getting kicked back, and I think everybody has their limits, and some people turn to substance abuse or other things to help them deal with the, the lack of opportunities. And we see that on a daily basis in our community. And it's, it's sad. I've seen it change in my lifetime. And you know, there's always been that element, but I've seen it got worse. And it's directly tied to my opinion, the, the numbers don't lie. When you look at the graphs of the decline in these factories shutting down or, or laying off folks. So we're just, waiting for our our turn, I guess, for things to boom. The thing is, Longview just doesn't have to wait to see if anything happens to them. There's an employer named Lighthouse Resources that really wants to come to them. Their Millennium Bulk Terminal project hopes to improve one of Longview's ports so they would be able to ship coal from the states of Wyoming and Montana to countries across the Pacific Ocean that are hungry for it like Japan and South Korea. We're talking almost a three-year project, probably between 1,000 and 2,000 building trades jobs easily. There's 150 permanent jobs for the facility. You know, you're probably looking at a $1 billion project, and that's a big private investment into a community that could really benefit from that. Mike said could because the project is being held up by the state government because it has to do with coal, what some call a dirty energy source because when it's burned to make electricity, it emits carbon dioxide and that can increase global warming. The governor's office shouldn't be picking winners and losers based on what the commodity is that they'd like to ship or the industry that they want to bring to our community. The plan all along, obviously, was to stall this thing out. 
Lighthouse Resources applied for its permit back in February of 2012. It took Washington State's Department of Ecology five whole years to complete its EIS environmental impact statement on the project. They're supposed to follow a process and have an answer at the end, and that's all we've ever asked for with Millennium. Um, in any project that comes to our area, you know, let's have a fair, predictable process. When you're waiting one year, then two years, then three years, and four years, and finally over five years just for the government to get back to you, to tell you what their ruling, their law is about something, you don't have a rule of law, you have a rule of the unknown. And none of us like swimming in unknown waters when it comes to the government. Especially when you're a business that's already risking a billion dollars on a project. More risk is the last thing you need. I know there's other businesses and projects that are sitting out waiting to see how this thing plays out. We're going to continue to see these projects. One of the things we worry about is depending on how these things shake out, will that slow down? Will they quit looking at the West Coast? That's some of the fears that, that we have. In April of 2017, the Department of Ecology's much-delayed report came out, and it essentially concluded that the project was fine. But five more months later, Maya Bellin, the head of the Department of Ecology, decided to deny their water quality permit anyway, illegally. She accounted for the environmental impact of the trains that would bring the coal to the port, even though federal law prohibits them from looking at trains, and she accounted for the carbon emissions of the coal, even though the Federal Clean Water Act prohibits them from considering this too. And even though her own department's report found that this Wyoming and Montana coal is cleaner than those of the other countries that Japan and South Korea is currently buying them from, and therefore, this coal would actually help the environment. The EIS actually stated in the appendix that because of the better mining practices, along with the different quality of coal that comes from the Powder River, would actually be a little bit of a reduction in global CO2 emissions. So that was kind of interesting to me that not, not that it's just a neutral, it's actually a, a benefit. But nobody's talking about that because they buried it back in the appendix. It's tough. It's Washington's made a made it kind of a tough um, environment currently to try to do business. There's a lot. There's a lot of people that feel that way on, on both sides of the political aisle. From 12 different labor unions who are fighting for this project to happen, alongside local chamber of commerces, to Montana's Attorney General Tim Fox, who doesn't take political or economic stance, only a legal one, that the state of Washington blocking coal from his state and Wyoming violates the United States Constitution and its Commerce Clause. Think about the way that our country evolved with the 13 original colonies, they were in competition with one another for commerce, for immigrants, and it was not uncommon for states to basically take advantage of another state's situation by, say, barring the importation of 
a commodity from the other state in favor of those that maybe grew that commodity in their own state. And the framers were well aware of that and understood that if the states were allowed to do that when the country was eventually established, that it would create chaos, it would be unfair, and it could really undermine this experiment, if you will, that they were trying to do with our republic. And thank goodness they had that kind of foresight and framed the Constitution the way they did so that states like Washington in the year 2018 cannot do what they're trying to do. My new role, it's not a permanent role, but I do enjoy what I do because I got into this to try to make a difference in our community. But I really do miss being out in the field, being able to see something get done at the end of the day. The benefit of uh, being able to go back and say, this is, this is, look at what you did before you walk off the site and say, look, this is what I did, or, or turning the switch on and seeing the lights or the, the motor start up or whatever it is that you're working on is a pretty satisfying thing to have. Uh, I wish I could do that every day in the job I do now because it's just tough. You might work on something for six months and not see a change because there's all these different pieces that go with it. And then the victories, I guess, in, in my line of work now are harder to measure. <laughs> and uh, so we celebrate when we do get anything. And if, um, you know, if we do get a, a win with Millennium, we will be celebrating for sure. And great job as always, Alex. And that's another great installment of our Rule of Law series. And here, there's just unlawfulness. We have 12 unions hoping to build this port facility and all the jobs that come with all those unions supporting it. We have the Chamber of Commerce and unions supporting something, folks. How often does that happen? And those are the kind of stories we do here in Our American Stories. The ones where, well, no one else is covering them. And if you have a story like this in your community, or something in the government that makes no sense, that has no relationship to the law, just sheer power or ideology, write to us at ouramericannetwork.org. Union leader Mike Bridges' story, Longview, Washington's story, here on Our American Stories.